Revolution I can't get no call to action But I try and I try and I try and I try Hello and welcome to Call to Action the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing and advertising. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Wima Schneiders. A Dutchman with a famous banana, more on that later, Wiemer is one of the most prominent figures at the forefront of marketing sciences. Currently a partner at the Commercial Works, he recently curated Eat Your Greens, fact-based thinking to improve your brand's health, which features contributions from 35 of the world's top marketers, including the likes of Byron Sharp, Mark Ritson and Bob Hoffman. Weimer says the marketing world is awash with myths, misconceptions, dubious metrics and tactics that bear little relation to our actual buying behaviour. Welcome to the show, Weimer. Thank you, Charles. Happy to be here. Let's limber up with our quick fire questions. Mac or PC? Currently Mac, but actually thinking about buying a PC. Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, Star Wars, definitely. Book or Facebook? Book. Apples or bananas? Bananas. <laughs> Ritson or Sharp? Oh, dear. Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> efficiency or effectiveness? Um, both, but effectiveness, effectiveness first. Be different or be distinct? Distinct. Distinct. Good stuff. Right. We're, yeah. That was the last one. I should have qualified that before asking. So... <laughs> First question that we, we like to ask is, um, I personally, and I know the listeners and colleagues of mine, find it really reassuring and interesting uh, to understand how talented people join the industry. So typically people have a perception that we step out of a shiny university into a shiny marketing gig somewhere. So can you tell us what your circumstances were? So how did you end up in marketing? I felt like I came out of uh, several nice and shiny places, and um, uh, as, as I, um, I, I not only went to uni but also went to the Academy of Arts, and um, um, and I felt like you know I was um, you know, uh, properly trained, and I'm I wasn't only trained uh, academically but also uh, uh, well creatively, so to speak, and uh, so I felt I was really ready for. So let's say the marketing profession and the marketing industry, you know, uh, I felt like, well, who wouldn't want to hire me? But uh, that was around, well, just about 2001, 2002. Uh, uh, I don't know how old you are exactly, but uh, that was sort of, well, uh, what we considered then to be sort of a uh, fairly serious financial cri- or a sort of crisis that we ended up in, so like the internet bubble. And obviously uh, uh, the doors weren't wide open, uh, and especially not at ad agencies, uh, obviously being so sensitive to uh, uh, econo- uh, economic changes, um, uh, and in this case, obviously negative, a negative change. So, uh, so there I was, uh, thinking I was sort of the perfect candidate for any ad agency, which just was essentially more me walking inside in the door, and I'd be, I'd be set. But I wasn't, obviously. Uh, because nobody wanted to hire an inexperienced person 
because we needed to make money now we, we didn't have any time to educate people because you know uh, you might you might come out of some sort of sh shiny place where you also so always will sort of need, need to gain a bit of experience and and that's uh, uh, so that was obviously uh, my problem and uh, uh, together with me a lot of you know, other people that graduated around that time I suppose and were looking for a job in, in marketing or advertising so <laughs> um, I, I ran into a friend who um, had been running a successful studio for a while and they were doing music, soundscapes, jingles, uh, all sorts of things for the ad industry, also the film industry. So they were essentially a you know, music studio uh, and they were doing really well. They were actually, they were doing, you know, doing, doing stuff for BMW, uh, MTV and all, the, all those sorts of things. And, um, but essentially they were, they were just, you know, musicians essentially. Uh, but you know, they, they were, they were really hitting it off. Uh, and they said, well, we could actually use someone who can help us, you know, with all the other stuff, essentially. Uh, so marketing, sales, account management, and, uh, because, you know, we, you know, we just don't, we don't really like that stuff, and we, but we know it's important and, uh, we need to do, you know, we need to do a proper job, uh, if we don't want to run ourselves into the ground. Um, and I thought, well, hmm, so if I'm having a hard time, you know, getting a job at an ad agency, uh, why not just work for these guys, do a bit of work, but because I, it'll, it'll get me, uh, inside ad agencies, I'll get to know people within ad agencies because there's a, there was a lot of work that we did for ad agencies, and you know what? Maybe that will that, that will, maybe that will get me into advertising. So I did that for a while, and funny enough, I didn't end up in, end up in advertising because I I was actually a bit appalled by uh, appalled by it. <laughs> yeah, I had these I had these ideas. It was a really exciting industry to work in, and uh, just given my background, you know, I never really wanted to be. Uh, uh, in a creative role or anything like that. I was really interested in learning more about the, the whole creative process and how it came about and what people learned who actually did want to end up in, in roles like that. But at least from, from my end, I was sort of, the reason why I went to the Academy of Arts was that I was, I was just learning a lot of stuff about marketing and communications and persuasion and, you know, what, how people buy things, consumer psychology and also all those sorts of things. But I also realized, well, in the end, there's also just people that need to make the ads, you know, that uh, that will need to have that effect that I'm sort of learning about in, in uni. But, I, but I'm not learning any of that in uni. So, so for me, that was the decision to go to the Academy of Arts, not necessarily, you know, with the ambition to become a creative director or anything like that. But just just seeing and speaking to so many people in, in ad, ad agencies seemed like for me as someone who, would, who was more interested in the thinking and the problem solving uh, it might actually not be as as as, as thrilling and exciting as I, as I thought it was so then sort of my real I'd say my real proper job in marketing was in consulting where uh, where I ended up after working uh, for the studio uh, it's actually a bit weird because I was having a really good time. It was, it was really, it was a lot of fun working there and we did a lot of fun stuff. Uh, I've always played musical instruments, so it was also, in a way it was sort of very close to what I, you know, enjoyed doing besides work and all that. But um, on the other end, I, f I felt like I, I didn't go to uni for nothing, essentially. So uh, so I managed to get a job at, a, at one of the largest consulting firms in the Netherlands, uh, which specialized in uh, not necessarily marketing strategy, probably more brand strategy. So brand positioning, brand portfolio, pitch consulting, is that what you call it? So agency selection and agency remuneration, selection, auditing, things like that. Um, so in a way, it was sort of interesting that I ended up going back to these ad agencies that I'd uh, known and I'd known quite a few people already. 
but now in a very, very different position where, I, where, where as a consultant, I was sort of you know, reviewing them, auditing them and uh, helping my clients uh, you know, select the best one for them. Uh, so, so that was sort of interesting. And, and I did that for a couple of years and uh, sort of really started you know, doing the things I was probably more well, trained in to a certain degree. And did you feel more suited to that type of role? I guess um, what was probably already clear from what I uh, just mentioned that there, there is I have a sort of a very analytical side. Uh, I like to solve problems, like to think uh, analytically. You know, the other on the other end, there's a bit of a more of a creative side in me, and I, was, I, I guess many people will have that to a, to a certain degree. But it's I sort of always feel that those are two opposing forces that sometimes pull me more in one direction than in a, in another. So. <laughs> after working at the consulting firm so that, that felt really good i enjoyed that very much very much i, I learned a lot but <laughs> i was at one point uh, approached by a headhunter who uh who asked whether i would be interested in working for a small subsidiary of a uh, creatively led agency uh from boston it was called Modernista. It's not uh, the agency is not around anymore. It was sort of in terms of its profile was similar to let's say one Kennedy, uh, one eighty Amsterdam, or just one eighty and uh, seventy two and Sunny agencies like that. So relatively small, independent, creatively led uh, agencies. Um, uh, and and so so that uh, that sounded really interesting because going back to the moment that I sort of came out of uni, I was uh, as I said, I was sort of a, well, not well. Appalled is a bit of maybe a bit of a big word, but you know, sort of the ad industry doesn't really seem didn't really seem that interesting anymore, except for places like Wyden Kennedy, where I must say that was really interesting. That when I tried to get into at least get sort of uh, get to talk to people, uh, so when I came out of uni, talk to people, uh, trying to get a job and interviews and things like that. The only agency person that really really took time to really i think i talked for two hours with that guy i was head of strategy at the time jackson his last name is jackson i think his first name is jeremy if i can't remember it correctly but he was head of strategy there head of planning at wyden and we just really he just really took the time to to get to know me and talk to me and uh, you know he, he didn't have a, a job for me at the time. He didn't, didn't even have an internship, but he nonetheless took the time to, to get to know me. And I think his idea was, well, you never know. You know where I know where you where you end up, and uh, uh, when you run into each other, and uh, when there is an opportunity, it's just good to know who you are and uh, what kind of person you are. So that's just that, that interesting enough. That still sticks with me you know, after was it twenty or nineteen years, twenty years now. But that so so the opportunity to work for that type of agent for that, that type of agency there were people from I think people from Wyden that worked at Modern Eastern as well and so the, so, so that that sort of pulled me in that direction so for a brief while I worked for uh, for the office that they opened in Amsterdam with a small group of people uh, on on a few international accounts or a couple of accounts brands that wanted to la- launch their brand globally and. Uh, our client demanded from Modernista that they uh, they'd be able to service them better, uh, and not only from Boston. So it was exciting times, building a little thingy and uh, traveling quite a bit, doing a lot of stuff. But I but in the end, I did realize that it was not the right place for someone like me because in the end, again, sort of that opposing force kept pulling me and saying, "Well, how about thinking a little bit more about marketing and brands?" This is because uh, in many cases. Uh, I think that got put on the back burner quite often, <laughs> and then I just uh, ran into an old colleague from uh, 
from my consulting uh, days and uh, I've been self-employed ever since. Have you seen much change in the industry? Is there anything that stands out as a significant change that you've, you've observed? <laughs> well, when I was in the Academy of Arts, we had something that, called, that was called new media, uh, and that was the internet and digital, digital photography. So, you know, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, uh, I think we're all old enough to sort of remember that, but it's going to be really weird that mm. in, in 10 years' time, a lot of people will not have experienced you know, the rise of the internet. So there's a lot of things have changed in the industry. Uh, I think if you just think, think about them, because you know, we seem obsessed with new things every time, but in the end, it's always sort of a new shiny thing that we really haven't really thought about very well. But and and it's mainly and we're mainly obsessed by it because it's just uh, a new thing. Yeah. Um, so I think that's sort of a recurring theme. But it's, but in but you know in the past twenty years, obviously uh, there have been new things that we've been obsessed with. Or uh, but it's, that goes back a little bit longer. I think is what was interesting is just the whole idea of branding itself sort of started to um, maybe just take off maybe from the nineties on nineties onwards. Well. It, uh, maybe halfway to 19s onwards. So the whole idea of branding and, and, and brand portfolio management, I think a lot of the, there's a lot of hype around, around it. And I think we're, but that's, that's sort of, that's different from where we are now, I suppose. When I started out in the consulting, with the consulting work, you know, uh, a lot of clients, at least in the Netherlands, were thinking about, oh, we, oh yes, we have, actually, we do have a, something that we could call, you know, that we have a brand and we need to think about its position and do we need more or less brand in our portfolio and, and how do we need to structure them? I think these type, those types of discussions have, have changed, I think, a little bit uh, over the past 15, 20 years. It's, I guess the whole idea and the concept of brand in many industries is sort of now sunken in a bit more. Uh, but also I think what's been waning in the sense that it's not, we're not spending gazillions of money on 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 things uh, that are a bit sort of pointless, I guess. Uh, One thing that a, a friend and, and colleague of yours, Frederick Halberg, mentioned on on his episode, and it was it was a really good point, and it was one that actually I hadn't really concluded myself um, because I'm overly critical of being distracted or marketers being distracted by the newest shiny new tech or whatever it might be. But Frederick accurately said but it's also fun to talk about the new stuff which which clearly it is mm -hmm. can you talk to us about research and and you know the importance of research and perhaps how that perception of how important research is has changed recently if if, if of course you believe it has yeah well I, well this is a bit hard because uh, I, actually, I think my own thinking about brand brands and, and branding and and the importance of things like positioning and brand portfolio have uh, very much changed within that sort of let's say 18 year or 20 year time frame simply because i ran into something about 10 years ago uh, and, and that has to do a lot with, with research which is obviously uh, uh byron sharp's uh, book how brands grow which is obviously sort of an excellent summary of decades of work of many many people but it did make me wonder how important some of the things that i was sort of doing at that point and before that, uh, with respect to sort of helping my clients position their brand, finding the white space, the importance of differentiating the brand compared, you know, uh, yeah, sort of saying something different or differentiating it uh, in, in all sorts of ways. 
I guess how brands grow did, and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm sorry if this is you know this is obviously probably rather boring because I guess everybody by now sort of had sort of a, a similar sort of epiphany maybe or just after reading it is that you you just read that stuff and it's research based and you think oh my god you know I've just been I've just been yapping out of, out of my out of my neck you know it's just I've been just been telling I've I've been just using all of these models and they all seem to make sense and uh, uh, if all of my competitors are on the left side I, well, I'm I'm definitely trying to get my client on the right side in whatever sort of onion or or or, or four by or two by two you 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 can think of uh, so because that's not where your competitors are and that's that's where the opportunity lies. And you're like, oh fuck! If 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 you just if you read all the research, you know, there's the in many cases it's just really the other way around, essentially. And uh, uh, so the importance of research and just you know, I think what what I've found uh, almost embarrassing is that after you've read that book, it it, it wasn't necessarily someone who sort of sat and wrote up something and sort of backed it up with proper research in the past five years. No, it was just simply a summary of 50 years of work. So it's, it's really uh, uh, sort of embarrassing in the sense that you, you're thinking, oh, my God, I, sh- I could have known all of this already. Applying an, an evidence-based perspective on, on, on what we do and what we say and how you go about that you know, in terms of just proving things that really changed my own view on 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 the industry and marketing, and then I think just you know, together with me, a lot of other people, uh, and 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 progressively, I think more and more companies are sort of slowly and gradually picking up for, for various reasons. But on the other end, there's still a lot of stuff that's going wrong because we're just not researching things properly. You know, it's I think one of the problems that that's being addressed in Eat Your Greens as well is. By several people, it's, it's not necessarily that more data means better data or better insights. You can actually get some in some cases, you can actually get better evidence from less data. No, it's not the amount of data; it's it's, it's whether you found evidence for something, and that doesn't necessarily require huge data sets. For example, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's knowing how to look for proof. And uh, when and when to say, well, this is really robust, or this is really, you know, this is a finding. We can now safely say that X is something. It's just, I think many people have, made this, have said this before, but it's, it's, uh, you know, even medicine is, is, has a, didn't start using uh, statistics. I think as of the 1930s, something around that time, somewhere around that time. So you know, medicine's been around forever. And uh, people have been researching and, and testing things, obviously, uh, for quite a long time. But I think the use of the scientific method and uh, statistics experiments have, has greatly advanced uh, medicine. And I think we're, we're just getting there with marketing. Uh, uh, it's not that it's really, you know, there's a few people that have done it for ages, well, so for decades, essentially. But, you know, it sort of uh, takes a while for people to pick it up and be trained in it and that's i think the biggest problem in marketing currently that you know, people mm. people haven't been trained properly so you know, we first need to do that before we can see the results i referred to you as jp hansen did on a previous episode as the dutchman with a famous banana so <laughs> so that nobody jumps to any of the wrong conclusions can you can you clarify <laughs> yeah you start reading about 
buyer behavior and the way we buy and and effectively how you know how brands grow there is uh there's this very fundamental pattern in our buying which which i describe in in, in the first chapter as well and and it's been and it's been described in, in how brands grow one i think second book as well it's the negative binomial distribution and that's that just simply tells you uh what every brand's or what a brand's customer base looks like and you know uh, it varies a little bit you know, for 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 given categories, but essentially the shape of that distribution is always the same. It's very skewed to the left, depending on how you uh, how you you write on the x-axis, obviously. But it's if it go if the numbers go from low to high, it will be skewed to the left, uh, meaning that a lot of your customers will do very little, and a few will do a lot because you can put purchases on the x-axis or uh, weight of purchase or all sorts of things that have to do with the buying and the level of buying or visits uh, and and you will find that most people just do very little with your brand spend very little on you visit you very infrequently and there's a few who do that a lot and and you always get that distribution uh, but you know it's called the negative binomial distribution or the NBD and you know Ehrenberg wrote about it in the 1950s uh, but apparently it hasn't stuck very well. So maybe it had its own little branding problem. Uh, <laughs> so my idea, because I, when I was, when I looked at that, I was well, it's sort of it's shaped like a banana, to be honest. Um, if you think about it, uh, and, that, and I use this in presentations sort of as I, it's my humble attempt at least, uh, to make, to make that great finding, that very fundamental finding yeah. in marketing, just a little bit more memorable. So, you know, it's the most frequently purchased item uh, in supermarkets. So, you know, even marketers will probably buy them once in a while. Uh, so, so hopefully it will remind, it will remind them of, of a very important thing in marketing, which just to be honest, if you sort of clock that, that idea and, uh, and how fundamental it is and how, it, how pervasive is that the right word for it? It is, how it works through in all sorts of other things uh, that we are concerned with, you know, pricing, new product development, advertising, media. You know, if you think about all those things and you think back about, well, the banana, um, yeah, you're, you're all set. You, 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 I can go home. <laughs> but it's not easy because uh, there's, there's a lot of people that try to convince marketers to do, some, to do, to do the exact opposite. And uh, you know, even very recent examples where people are clearly advising people to do something that goes against um, that that finding in uh, the banana that, that every brand just has a lot of customers that do a little and a few do a lot, and even if the, even when they grow, that distribution remains the same. Yeah, if you just you know, I think I reference a paper from from Accenture, and not necessarily to bash them in any sort of way, shape, or form, but it's just. Now they put out a paper uh, at the end of 2018 where they advise retailers on uh, on who they should focus and uh, and it's 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 really uh, uh, they're really trying to sort of change the shape of that distribution based on what they're saying people should focus on. Obviously, the, the high high worth uh, customers that that will happen. It makes life a lot a very simple if you sort of if you understand it and you know how to apply it and you know how to look for it. It's it's really marketing becomes a lot a lot simpler. It's not, it's not it's not a sort of silver bullet thing where you you know you you'll have instant success overnight or guarantee it doesn't guarantee anything, but it's it really mm. does make you help you navigate what uh, 
between what is important and not important. I guess everyone has a has a hunger for certainty, don't they? So there's lots of things and lots of advice being sold, which, as you say, is the opposite of reality. But equally, you can't ever be certain. So it's a probability game, isn't it? Yeah. You mentioned earlier, equally, the perhaps lack of marketers, lacking marketing training. Your uh, LinkedIn bio starts with the simple, I help you sell more. This is, I agree, exactly what we do. But do you think as an industry, marketers are embarrassed to admit this or, or perhaps they have a delusion of grandeur that they can change the world with their brand purpose or, or self-given titles of marketing wizards or gurus or whatever they want to call themselves? There's probably just a bit of both. Uh, I, again, I, th- I think in, as you just actually mentioned yourself, it's to a certain extent just simply to do with the lack of training, being trained in what marketing is supposed to do. It's, uh, you know, I went to uni and I studied marketing communications. I can't remember to uh, whether, well, you know, simply because I can't remember it anymore, it probably tells you uh, uh, something is that we really talked about. So how's this going to influence sales? So how, how has this delivered, you know, X amount of uplift in sales? There was very little talk about how how businesses operate, uh, how markets were structured, what uh, conduct, uh, how performance was measured. You know, very basic things about how how do markets work, how do you, you know, how a business is set up, how do they operate, how, do, how what does the P and L look like, how can you influence it, and how you know, how how can marketing actually contribute to some of those things? Marketing is just getting the money in. It's, it's really it's, you know, it's marketers' job to sell things. That's what that, that, that's that, that's their job, and uh, but it's become it, it's just very detached, I think, from just commercial reality. I, I wonder whether you know marketers aren't necessarily to blame for the fact that when they're doing marketing, they're sort of very occupied with you know the campaign and uh, and what it looks like, and uh, whether you know uh, the media profile is very similar to you know target audience uh, the profile of the target audience, and it's just there's a lot of things you can be really concerned about and get worked up about and have to work hard at, but you know. <laughs> If it's detached from commercial reality, you can end up in some really weird places, which you know, I think Thinkbox has demonstrated quite quite nicely uh, about two years ago. Uh, I mentioned that in, in, in a post, I think I summarised that research, and many other people have, where you know they've just compared what marketers think and what real people think or what real people do, and there's just a huge gap. And uh, so, so is it grandeur? Is it uh, hubris? All those sorts of things. I don't know. It's just being a bit. It's just being detached from, uh, from, 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 from just well, reality in that sense. And uh, I don't think it's. You can then, I suppose, really easily get into territories like uh, brand purpose and just thinking that's really important. Because if you start asking consumers what they want, or that you start assuming what they want, uh, or you're basing your fear, your, your 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 let's say your insights between parentheses on on engagement, or just talking to very engaged consumers, uh, yeah, you can get you can get into all sorts of weird weird, weird areas where uh, you start thinking that it's very important to uh, to ladder up, uh, let's say what you say in branding or communications. Uh, uh, and get you know talk about very lofty things as saving the world or you know, uh, <laughs> sort of a happiness and, and all those all sorts of things and, and forgetting about the fact that you just sometimes just need to tell we've got a really good toaster 
you know, you put your bread in it, and within two minutes, you've got the perfect toast. It's a toaster. It's the best toaster you ever buy. It's the best toaster the world has ever seen. That's that's our toaster. You need to buy it now. Something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just, uh, and, uh, people, and maybe marketers think that's sort of dirty or, or, uh, or well, not dirty. Dirty is maybe not the right word for it, but it's too simple or simplistic, but it's not, you know. Brands are very little things in people's lives and, you know, just helping them remind them of the fact that, oh, that thing is a toaster. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I need a toaster. Thank you. I, I forgot about that. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's sometimes uh, amazing in so that if you listen to the sort of discussions that you end up in, uh, at least in my role, well, with people at ad agencies or media agencies or research agencies are probably not the same thing, but just... If you're sort of convinced that what Ehrenberg and Sharp and, and, and all of their colleagues have written about and researched, uh, and you listen into some of those conversations, or you just read what was being crunched crunched out by Marketing Week or The Drum or anything like that, in many cases, yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's alarming. And, and it drips into, into brand strategies so you said recently perhaps marketing strategy is a bit like pension planning can you explain what you meant by that well yeah um yeah i remember thinking about that um, uh, because every marketer knows that they need to do something on the long-term stuff everybody understands that yeah sure enough we need to sell stuff now to people but and yeah we also need to work on you know uh, we need to sort of do something so that so the people that aren't in the market now, but maybe in a year or so or, so, or next quarter, we want to get them in our shop or uh, buy our brand, uh, obviously. So, yeah, we need to work on the long-term stuff as well. But it's, it's like that pension thing. You know you, you, you know you need to do something about your pension, at least especially well, if, if you're like me, if you're self-employed, you need to sort of do that. You, know, you, need, to, you, you need to take care of that uh, yourself. And even if you're in your job, obviously, you just need to think about that stuff. But it's sort of the thing you push away and sort of like, you don't really want to think about it. And then, and then obviously, when you turn what, 50, 55, or five years before your pension, uh, around, what is it, your 60, 60, when you're 65 or anything like that. I should have thought about some of these things about 20 years ago. Uh, so, sort of, that's where it sort of came from in the sense that, I, because I don't think, so I think Peter Field and, and Les Bennett, um, they, they've obviously done. Uh, Exceptionally good work in analyzing the IPA data bank and what they found in there, notwithstanding the challenges that there still are with that data set. But it's, you know, they, they've already emphasized the importance of the long and the short. And, and, and it's interesting to see that sort of only now it seems to be picking up, but maybe, maybe it's just me noticing it more. But it's, but it's, I don't think a lot of marketers were ever weren't aware of that fact but it's sort of as the pension they sort of uh sort of well you know let's not think about that now but that also really has to do with just to be honest uh you know and and that uh, it's human nature it's just trying to look for shortcuts just being a bit lazy don't really want to put don't want not wanting to put in the hard work and the fact that you're more interested in, in you know uh Go, going from a junior brand manager to a brand manager or a brand manager to a senior brand manager, etc. Just you, you're a bit more concerned about how you can get sort of the, the right results now to further your own career. Uh, that will also uh, that will that's going to be 
detrimental to making sort of the right decisions for brands in the long term. I think I think just um, the extent to which the long game is important if you want to if you want to build a brand, if you want to be a successful brand, and if you want to be around in ten years, uh, that will require uh, different decisions. Um, but that's just so long term, people. Uh, they aren't bothered too much, uh, and that's exactly the same thing as with pensions. So, how's your pension going, Giles? <laughs> <laughs> exactly that, as if you you've been talking to my wife. I mean, you raised a couple of really interesting points then, and one um, latterly was was the the individual's motive. So, as you say, the typical CMO tenure is becoming shorter and shorter. So, it does become a what's in it for me if we do dedicate the resource to long term. Mm when actually short term, I'm looking for some advancement in, in my career. And that, that's clearly a problem that, that businesses must address or at least be aware of. To be honest, it's not just CMOs. Uh, I think the CMOs 10 years is hovering around like around four years. Um, and um, But just, just think about uh, a mid-level brand manager or a marketing manager. Uh, so they, they typically aren't in the same role for four years, I, I would say, especially the ambitious ones. And uh, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's sometimes easy to say, well, yeah, it's all, it's all these CMOs with their short tenure and it's because of them. They're obviously in the end, they're responsible, I'd say. But so sure enough, there is a, uh, we, we should look uh, at them uh, and ask them the hard questions. But it's, um, I, I've spoken to several CMOs who, who simply said to me, well, you know, I'm having a really hard time keeping my keeping the good people in my team because they want to move on and you know to give you a sort of very specific example on why that is is that typically uh in places like london sydney new york amsterdam uh places like that you know it's uh housing is expensive so if you're a mid-level or junior marketing manager you probably need to commute uh, well you might need to commute an hour and a half to get to your job uh, because, you know, the houses are just too expensive. Uh, so you're really keen on moving up because, you know, you want to, you want to, you want a better place. You just, you don't want to sit in a two, two room studio. You know, you want to be in a better place near the park or wherever. You don't want to commute as long. So, so there's all sort of very normal logical pressures on people to, to actually expedite all of that stuff and just, you know, make sure that they, you know, they, they, they get promoted quickly. But and unfortunately, the way we sort of promote people is, well, I suppose, very dependent on some of, on some of those very short-term results, quick short-term results, and uh, so, uh, you know, it's not necessarily just a CMO. He's just being confronted with with something he can he can hardly influence. You know, it's it's not simply saying, oh, you know, you, you just need to reward your people differently, and that'll be fine, because you know he can't do something about you know, house house prices being as as they are as an example so um it's just yeah we're sort of stuck in a mechanism in a, in a world where where we just have all of these incentives to produce short-term results uh so it's yeah it's, it's hard really hard to fight that it's a really good observation around house prices i mean clearly I, I, no doubt there's there's lots of criteria and factors at play but i hadn't um hadn't really put it in that context so yeah 
Yeah, so surely there's obviously a lot of things, but you know, just a house is sort of obviously an investment that uh, for, for many people, at least for where I live, you know, it's, it's just one of the biggest investments you make in your life. And uh, and people are very keen on living in a nice place, especially when they start having families and all sorts of things. So so I, I agree, there's, there's, there's obviously many, many other things that need to be factored in, but I think it's... Uh, it's you know it's 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 a very uh, it's it's one this one is sort of a probably influences things uh, quite substantially. So the conditions that the that the brand managers or everyone on that whole chain of marketers is is actually working within is is making it harder and harder to make the right decisions. Really, if yeah, what's just yeah, what surprises me in that, in that respect is that. Um, but again, that might be just simply the data set. Uh, Peter and Les are looking at um, is that you know if more and more people are picking up on this thing and the importance of the long game uh, but again this might just me being this might just might be me in my little bubble it's it's, it's sort of surprising to see that what Peter Field finds is that uh, the amount of short-term campaigns actually quadrupled over the, uh, you know, the last uh, last years that they've been looking at it so you know it's it's so we're really in, indeed moving in the opposite direction so maybe the conclusion should be that actually uh, it's not as well understood uh, or acknowledged uh, or worse which we, we just can't do anything about it <laughs> this is not ending up in a cheerful conversation i'm afraid <laughs> So if we can be a bit more positive, and, and I take the, the full blame for that because I tend to sway <laughs> things. If we go back to marketing science for a second, are there any particularly interesting and important new advances in marketing science that we can get excited about? Hmm. Yeah, um, this is this is actually sort of a thing that I it's uh, uh, sort of on my to do list because just to give put put things a bit in context. So. Um, what I do a lot in, in many cases is really sort of revisit and uh, and address the basics, so the, the things that we've known for quite quite a while. And um, in my own work, it's a lot of replicating these these findings or you know, just uh, uh, and digging into them more deeply. But uh, if if I consider if I look at sort of new things that are happening in marketing science, it's, it's one of those things where I personally uh, feel that I need to sort of uh, you know. Uh, Try to be on the lookout a little bit more, I guess. Um, but there is, there are, there are areas I think that are very promising and very interesting. At least what is going on in uh, in neuroscience, essentially. Um, I think I'm not yet convinced that what we're seeing and, and the things that are sort of presented there is as is already as robust and convincing as some of the some of the people uh, make it sound or make it appear to be. Uh, but I think there are some very interesting things uh, being researched by people in that area, and especially people trying to link it to uh, actual buying. So what are we seeing and, and uh, to what extent do we see that sort of manifest itself in, in people's actual buying behavior? Those things are obviously the things that, that I'm sort of very keen on and interested in. And, uh, and there are studies now that are being done in that area where people are trying to to, to link those things. The reason why I'm not necessarily convinced about some of these things is that they do s- seem to be really at odds with things that we've found and consistently found over, over many years. For example, 
I do a lot of research association into people's associations uh, with brands. So category entry points research, uh, for example, to be very specific about it, but just we, we measure what people think and or feel consistently in line with you know, what, what others uh, like Ehrenberg or uh, Jenny Romanek uh, have found consistently is that there is actually very little brand differentiation, at least perceived differentiation. But I think there's an interesting debate where some people are saying, well, yeah, yeah, but you're asking people explicitly to say something about brands, what they think or whether they think things are something applies to a certain brand when it comes to certain associations. But the critique is, yeah, but you're asking people explicitly. So, you know, you, you'll, you'll never get a good answer. And uh, yeah, people will think brands are very similar in that respect if you ask them explicitly. However, now that we can measure things implicitly and we can use brain imagery, as an example, or implicit testing methods, we actually do see a lot of differentiation between brands. And you know, to be honest, I I think that is very interesting, and I'm trying to read up and learn more about it. But I'm not really, I'm, personally, I'm not yet convinced that the way it's being researched is uh, uh, sort of has made made me change my mind in that respect. But you no, know, it's that's sort of those are actually new developments that I find interesting. I think Kuhn Powell's, which is mm. a uh, a Belgian professor working in, in the United States, uh, Northwestern University, if I'm correct, at Kuhn Powell's. I think he's doing some very interesting research as well in, in the area I just described. And he is also very much trying to link uh, what people think and say about brands. So not necessarily implicitly, but explicitly in linking it to actual purchasing behavior. Uh, but um uh, I suppose, and he's he's finding he's finding out some some interesting things. But again, I'm personally not yet. It hasn't really changed my mind because I think there there's some issues with the way it's being researched. So there, I sort of try to keep track of things, and there's just you know there's obviously so much stuff being published that I can't ever you know sort of keep track of that stuff. But uh, sort of things that interest me haven't yet made me change my mind, which in a way is sort of I guess almost boring because you know it's sort of we're finding the same things and we're just, uh, but, but, but I'm sort of perfectly at ease with that. So I'm, I'm perfectly happy with, again, sort of finding Good. findings that we found for 40 years. Uh, but you know, I, I once had a client who said, well, but this is actually a bit disappointing because there, there isn't <laughs> anything new in there or things that we didn't know already. So, well, you know, before we started the research, we already we talked at length about, what, what we will probably find. So, you know, there's always an opportunity to say, well, if that's the case, we'll, we'll leave it. But no, they made the decision to go to, to press on. Uh, but I think just they were just hoping uh, just that there will be something in there sort of uh, to find that little nugget or that little bit of insight or that significant difference in, uh, in something. But, but if you just, you know, show them the result and say, well, actually, yeah, this is what we've known for that. Well, 40 years and that's actually quite that's okay you know it, it means a lot of things and the implications are x y and z and actually that requires a lot of hard work and all yada 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 but it's it's yeah that's not yeah i'm sorry to say your brand is not very special or your competitors aren't actually either so that, that's sort of always sort of a sort of a sort of a hurdle you sometimes need to overcome uh, but you know to be honest once you're comfortable with that you know uh, actually yeah, your, your life becomes a lot more a lot, a lot more easy to be honest anyway yeah, and a lot more settled. Once you sort of feel comfortable with the idea that, you know, people don't really care about brands that much and, you know, because of it, you know, they will likely not really think very differently about brands and see them very differently, notwithstanding a few sort of very 
you know, basic, functional, very obvious things. But, you know, that's more about, well, I just like that one better. It looks better, stuff like that. It's more about, so how can we just get that stuff in front of more people, you know? So a few of them will actually say, oh, yeah, I like that one. Uh, and it has nothing to do with positioning or, you know, just being different. But, you know, I know people like Britson will vehemently disagree with me. And uh, and that's fine also, to be honest. Uh, yeah, that's good. Though. And I think it's important that, 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 you know, people don't always agree. Otherwise, we all become redundant and we're not required in the same way that you uh JP Hansen. Actually, one of his uh, pet hates is the lack of critical thinking in the industry and the, and the mere fact that you questioned findings of um, the research recently. You said you weren't necessarily particularly sold on how mm-hmm. they sourced and maybe collated their data is is so important and i believe that's the point jp was making is that so many people just take everything as at face value and accept that it's true without questioning how that conclusion was ever made or how that piece of research was conducted i agree i think if there's one thing that you can learn from how bounds grow is and i try i, I sort of emphasize that uh frequently is that you know, the findings that you will find in that book are interesting in them, in themselves quite often because they are in many cases so so at odds with the assumptions uh, or uh, the, the ideas that we have as marketers on what we need to do and work on but you know so so in that sense the findings themselves can be really interesting uh shocking or whatever as well but if you just really just think about how brands grow it's just it's just a, it's a it's a book that helps you that sort of helps you and guides you in how do I sort of make sense of things? How do I prove things? How do I make sure that if I try to make sense of the world around me uh, and, and try to collect, you know, information that will help me, you know, do a, do a better job at marketing? You know, it, it's, it's more, that book is more special in the sense that it really just helps you how to go about that and how you can collect evidence and, and uh, you know, uh, be evidence-based in your way and in, in, uh, in what you do. And, um, and in that sense, you know, that's not new. That's just science. But you know, that is the, the, the I, I would say, you know, the main, the real, real uh, sort of big contribution of, of that book, I suppose, to the marketing community uh, uh, of late. In that sense, it's it's just how do I how do I prove things? I think I think one of the things I, I mentioned that in Intergreens at the ending. Uh, I think one of the most most important things I think I've I've learned from 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 my getting to know Byron Sharp and corresponding with him uh, and, and, and having conversations with him uh, about things is simply, you know, he taught me the question, uh, to ask myself the question, can I really tell that from the data? Uh, and that's really, that's, mm. that's really a very good question to ask yourself because in interpreting the world around us, you know, and we obviously read and see things and people present us with evidence or findings and you know, asking, really asking yourself, can, can I really tell that from the data? Because uh, typically consultants will pitch quite rather wild things uh, to you. So, for example, just, just sorry, I'm, I'm elaborating a little bit, but just even yesterday, yesterday it was this guy saying that influencer marketing had had, uh, had managed a scientific peer-reviewed paper uh, uh, had demonstrated that you know nano influencers could could realize a thirty percent uplift in sales. Wow! So you know. <laughs> It's, it's it's really like so really so you want me now to go over to Heineke or uh, General Mills or uh, or GM and say well you know guys I think I've got this little thing for you where you can get a thirty percent uplift yeah. in sales yeah simply 
you know, <laughs> that can only come from a from a tiny, tiny, tiny number uh, for for it to be such a huge uplift. And it's and indeed, it was just they managed to do so in a in an in-flight uh, situation. So like uh, in, a, in a, so sales in a plane in a single plane. So they so okay. So a nano influencer that had managed to to have to, you know, to instead of sell two bottles of whiskey, they sell, they sold what is it? What is it? Three something like that. <laughs> I was sort of like, wow, yeah. So now try that at scale. <laughs> anyway, so it's 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 really, and then if you just really ask yourself, well, can you can you really tell that from data? Really, does it really work like that? And you probably it's like that little thread on a sweater, you know. You need to just need to start pulling it on it, and and you know, in many cases with the stuff that's pitched to us, you know, you just need to pull a few threads, and then uh, well, you've got an emperor without any clothes, right? Yeah, <laughs> so easy to to leave out the context of something that's demonstrated a thirty percent uplift or whatever it is. So, so one of my favourite examples is ninety nine percent of serial killers are breastfed. Therefore, if you breastfeed a baby, they'll become a serial killer. Yeah. And that's just too insane. A good example. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So talking about the um, eat your greens. Mm. So how do you even begin to oversee putting together a book? that contains so many industry legends yeah um well it all started completely different to uh, to be honest uh, um i was writing regularly at least in dutch um uh writing blogs and uh, it was sort of eight nine years ago i suppose and and obviously, I realized that there were more idiots like me trying to you know make sense of uh, of the world and, and try to sort of bring some sense to the industry uh, by writing about research or, you know, uh, things like that. So uh, I quickly, you know, found out and followed all these people, corresponded with uh, with them in many cases. So uh, someone who I was corresponding with uh, quite frequently was, was, was Eon Pritchard. I think it was on your show as well. Uh, yes. Is that right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and uh, I, I guess it was, and he was, I really liked his, and like, I still like his stuff. I think at one point we were saying, well, should we just try and try and see if we can do something together and see just sort of you know, bring that out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so that kept dragging on, and nothing really happened. So I, I at one point really got sort of fed up because I it's still I just I felt like there was sort of room for a for a book where uh, it wasn't just you know the big famous academic uh, uh, Byron Sharp or, or or any other you know guru um very often with an academic background uh that was telling us what we needed to do in marketing uh, but you know there were actually just very large numbers of just practitioners just you know people are working at research agencies ad agencies or you know, consultants like i like i am or, or uh, you know, all sorts of people of all various backgrounds and and, and sort of working in various sub in, sub industries so, so to speak that that you know picking up on this stuff, writing about it, speaking about it, etc. So I thought, well, I still think uh, readers would appreciate that sort of also as a signal to the market that it's, you know, there are so many people out there uh, already that we can learn from and uh, and have very interesting ways of, of sharing the knowledge. So I said, well, you know, I, I think I just I just need to just start asking people whether uh, they'd be interested in contributing to a book where we try to uh, sort of, um, uh, fight all of the nonsense that's out there and uh, try to bring some sense into the industry. And, um, and I must say, uh, there were 
very few people uh, that that didn't didn't want to contribute um, simply because some of them just didn't have the time or couldn't deliver their piece in time. Uh, and I was I think it's just very lucky that I I think I sort of stru- struck a chord and and uh, and all of these fantastic people uh, uh, have, have contributed to uh, to what is now each of greens it used to be a view from the trenches that's something eon uh uh sort of thought up but uh we thought the sort of warlike analogy was maybe a bit too cliche and and i think i think it was actually bob hoffman at one point who was asking him about it i said well he thought it wasn't specific enough uh i'm not saying each of greens is, is more specific in that sense but uh uh, at, le- at least it's a bit of a quirky thing to say in marketing, but it's it's, it's indeed that sort of thing. Your mum obviously always told you uh, when you, know, you needed to eat, eat your veggies. So it's indeed the thing. It's a good thing, uh, you know. Just di- have some of that as well, you know, and and you know have your fries, but have this as well, and you and that will be fine. So I think that sort of idea and sentiment sort of made sense. And I'm still happy with it. To be honest, I, I think it's. Uh, it works, and uh, but, but first and foremost, I'm I'm, I'm very grateful and happy, happy that uh, so many you know, brilliant people uh, took the time in their uh, undoubtedly busy lives to uh, sit down and write something. And uh, I'm already uh, already thinking about a, a new edition, to be honest. So uh, so hopefully uh, uh, there's more to come. I, I actually think we won't call, we won't give it the same name though. I think sequels have. Uh, Tendency to not be as successful as the first were, first movie. <laughs> true. So uh, it might be something different. Anyway, uh, any suggestions are open in that sense, and uh, you obviously you hope that people will like it. I had there was there were several ideas in the book why we set it up like it like like it's like it was set up uh, in terms of the length of the articles and uh, and all of those things and. Uh, uh, it's just you can only hope that people appreciate that idea, but it seems uh, that people indeed do appreciate uh, uh, a book from various people with articles that aren't too long, so you can sort of really pick it up. You don't really need to start at the beginning or, or whatever. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's very rewarding to see that sort of that that idea resonates and people are are happy with it. So uh, uh, that's uh, that's been uh, it's a lot of fun. Asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. But that's not stopped us asking our listeners for questions. There's a couple I'd like to put to you, please. Starting with Samantha, um, and this is this is relevant given we're discussing Eat Your Greens. And she asks, if you were able to force everyone working in marketing to read one chapter from Eat Your Greens, which would it be and why? Well, let me. Well, um, so there is a reason why the first chapter is, is the first chapter. Okay. Uh, and the first chapter actually only became the first chapter after all the other chapters were in. Uh, and the reason why I'm a bit reluctant to say, well, I, I would probably ask people or encourage people to read the first chapter, is just because you know Charles Graham and, and myself wrote it. Uh, but I would still encourage people probably to begin to start there, because. If you read all the other chapters, uh, uh, but you've already already uh, read the first one, a lot of the things that people will mention there and uh, be critical of will make sense in the light of what we talked about earlier, the bananas or the distribution uh, and, and all mm. what that means for marketing. It will tell you, it will, it will help you understand why short-termism or 
what what the problem is with short-term termism, what the problem is with online media or low-reach media and, uh, and many, many other things uh, that, that are being addressed in the book. Not everything, but many, many things. And it's really after I read all the chapters from all the contributors that I was one of the risks I, I took was, uh, I was like, oh, crap, all, they might all write about the same thing. Uh, um, but no, nobody had really written a piece about uh, uh, the negative binomial distribution and double jeopardy and duplication of purchases. But for, for, in a, for a book that, that is about fact-based thinking and, and unquestionably needed to be in there. So I think if people read that first chapter, the, a lot of the other chapters will make sense. And actually a lot of other things in marketing just generally will make a lot of sense, I hope. But it's mainly because of the fantastic work and it's really almost unique work that Charles uh, Graham did that we described in the chapter as well about the long-term loyalty studies that he conducted. Um, it's, it's just, um, I think marketers will, will, will learn some very fundamental basic things uh, so, but if, if I, and otherwise I think I, I, I probably nominate Gareth Price's, uh, chapter, uh, as, as a good, uh, as a very good starting point as well. I think, I think, uh, that, that as well is a very, very good sort of introductory piece or a piece that will, uh, uh, yeah, is would be, could be a very good place to start with, um, Okay, yeah. thank you. And, and clearly, everyone should read every chapter, really. Well, so, um, yeah. let's Samantha's uh, suggestion we only read one. Uh, the second question is from Dave, and he asks, How did millennials end up getting so much overblown importance? Was it down to lazy, shite research? Well, I think it was just because uh, the previous generation just became too old. <laughs> so we just needed to come up with, an, you know, we needed to, we needed to just keep focusing on the young, new, hip people, obviously. So, uh, so obviously, we just needed to come up with something new, and uh, uh, and we came up with millennials. I, I, you know, it's something, obviously, that we make a lot of fun of, uh, I guess, uh, and other people take it very seriously, but. Um, I, I, I've never actually really uh, sort of looked into when when that term sort of first popped up, but it's 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 just so wrong in in so many ways, uh, and it's even if you think about it in sort of practical terms for for marketing, it's so unuseful as a as a concept also. So uh, it's just you know disregards all the sort of differences that might you know. <laughs> Might be, might might be between be be there between the people uh, within that age bracket, and we oh we just treat them as one big group, and they're all the same. It's just sort of disregards or any form of heterogeneity uh, that there unmistakably is. But anyway, it's it's just in so many ways, it's so not useful. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, shite research. All about to be honest, I think no research at all. I think the few people that have actually looked into it found that millennials are very much like other people, uh, uh, so other generations. Yeah. So it's, it's probably just a lack of real proper research into that age group. Right, yeah, actually, that's exactly right. It's shite research and no research. And I think no research, you could argue, is shite research. So, <laughs> um, so the final part of the um, interview we is we put our four pertinent poses to our guests. Number one, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, it's a very good question. I'm just trying to find the right way of saying it, to saying it in a way that makes sense. Um, I would have encouraged my younger self to uh, to learn more about statistics 
and numbers mm -hmm. and not sort of sort of as your pension try to push that away as something yeah i know i need to get better at that but just you know i'll leave it for now it depends on where what age my younger self is if uh if uh if he was really young i'd say well you know you uh you you probably you know there's there's a lot of value in picking up physics or stick you know uh, sticking with physics and things like that it was a bit more if it was a bit older i i would have probably encouraged myself to do and study you know, be more trained in 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 more quantitatively is it would you say quantitatively trained or trained as a quant so to uh be mm -hmm. more yeah better trained as statistics things like that interpreting numbers and research because uh often very feel that oh my life would have been so much easier if i was just you know more uh more apt at that more at ease with it it still feels like a lot of hard work and i think i could have saved myself a lot more hard work that way so yeah i don't know i, I don't know how you say that to yourself in a sense learn more about numbers things like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. don't drop physics god damn it <laughs> something like that there's a thread there there's a there's a constant um if you could banish one thing from the industry then what would that be and why yeah, I was trying. I was. I was actually planning on saying Simon Sinek. <laughs> <laughs> but Simon Sinek is one of those sort of people, and it's. Uh, oh my god, Giles! I'm really uh, can't give you a really nice, crisp, snappy answer. That's it. There's so many things wrong with it. I'm trying to sort of think of a of a thing that sort of the thing. <laughs> Any books that you would recommend? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I, uh, I've, got a, I've got a sort of list of things. Uh, well, I'm, I'm afraid that many of them might, might actually be all sort of the usual suspects. But if you say them enough, hopefully people will end up reading them. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to say how brands were one or two. So those are, those are excellent books or any of the stuff by Lesbian and Peterfield. But um, what, because, uh, because I think you know um, those have been uh, mentioned before. So I, I did a list. Uh, I made a list. Um, it's it's a list of books that have really helped me in my thinking. So it's not necessarily about marketing always, but uh, but sort of books that have really helped me in my thinking. So uh, one one book uh, I particularly liked was one by Nick Chater, "The Mind Is Flat." Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is a very provocative book uh very interesting read i love gold acres book called bad science he's um there's another one called i think i think you'll find it's a little bit more complicated than that which is also very good um there is a there are two books about statistics and as i said you know I, i'm i'm constantly trying to train myself to get better at that and um it's the very it's sort of the famous how to lie with statistics one um i don't know the author but it's also there's another one called naked statistics i really like that there's one book that i really like which is called is by thomas Sowell, who's an, uh, an economic called economic facts and fallacies i really like that because it really just it's it's really there's sort of fundamental thinking in that book that's really helping you know, it's help, helping my thinking thinking in general and then two books that i really like about just being a little bit more optimistic about the world are factfulness and progress Backfulness by Rosling and Progress by Norberg. The last two books that I, I want to mention, sorry, it's a long list, is The Consuming Instinct by Gad Saad. I don't know if you've ever, if someone has ever mentioned that book, but that book was very interesting in terms of also, again, from a more behavioral psycho psychology perspective, understand, oh, sorry, evolutionary psychology uh, perspective. It's really, you know, understanding that there are some very simple basic things that drive people and you can see still see that um around you uh, everywhere and uh 
you know, so we try to do all sorts of crazy weird stuff, but, you know, if you keep in the back of your mind what really drives us as humans, uh, you know, some of these things will fall on barren ground. And and maybe the one that has, has had a very profound, a very profound effect on me is a book um, by, uh, I always keep get his last name wrong, Zisner, I think, but the book is called On Writing Well. It's just a book about how you write well. And, and to be honest, that's... Uh, Another thing in our profession, uh, and, and especially if you're a you know sort of strategy planning consulting job, or even just as a researcher, it's just words are very important, and the words that we use, and the way we communicate, and how we communicate, uh, you know, it's it's so important to think about how you express yourself, and you should always always be rigorous about trying to express express yourself as simply as possible and that, 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 that you need to continuously keep working on that yeah and re- revisiting your words and for me I, english is not my mother tongue but I, I i always with my colleagues my english colleagues constantly having conversations about about that as well about is this am i saying it right you know is it, can, can i say it more sim- simply uh i think that is so important in uh, in all the things that we do especially when it's around rather difficult concepts like marketing signs and things like that. And that's why I thought of the banana. It's not so much to be funny about it, but it's trying to find simple analogies, simple ways of explaining people, uh, explaining people things, things in a sort of a simple, engaging way. Because you know, it's, it's uh, uh, that's probably just a way with how we can make sort of make it work and make it stick. So that's my yeah. hope based on sort of the thing I try to do, uh, not necessarily come up with new exciting things, but really try to find ways to cover the basics, discuss the basics in simple and engaging ways. Yeah, you're you're preaching to the converted there, one hundred percent. We um we talk about trimming the fat when it comes to copywriting and messaging and just making things simpler. If it's simpler, it will be understood quicker. If it's understood quicker, the comms will be more effective. And as we've, I'm sure I've referenced this on a previous show, but. Dave Trott frequently says that stupid people mistake complicated for clever. Yes. Uh, but it takes real intelligence to, to, to get back to simple. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to explain things simply. Yeah, exactly. It's the same with, um, well, with the, with sort of the distribution where, uh, where people say, well, it can't be that simple, can it? Well, yeah, but it's, and it's a really, it's really, really, really hard work to get that right. But it's, it sometimes is as simple as that. But if you read the book on writing, well, you know, What's so very interesting, I just read his 30th edition and in it, in it, he just describes how even for this 30th edition, he just shows it a picture of all the little things that he amended in it. And, you know, just, just you know, taking away a few words here and there. And, and you're like, oh, my God, you know, this is this is a guy. This is his, this is his job. And even after 30 editions, he's still tweaking around. And. Um, <laughs> this is what I liked about Ehrenberg as well. For me, he's the true hero of marketing. He's really one of the truly great men in marketing is that even if you read his texts and his quotes, it's really I had a really hard time finding the original source for one of his quotes because he was apparently continuously tinkering with, with his words and you know, you know, adjusting them and tinkering with them and thinking them through again and again. And, and um, it's... Uh, I've never had the pleasure of, of meeting him, but I think uh, I've, I've read a lot of the things he, he wrote, and, and I think he's, uh, as I say, I think he's he's one of the the real true uh, grand men of, of marketing. Yeah, it's just it's so yeah. impressive. Anyway, 
Number four, then, so the last of our poses is we, uh, we always dedicate every show to somebody and we like our guest to do that for us. So would you dedicate this show to somebody, please? Yeah, I'll dedicate it to two people then, sorry. Andrew Ehrenberg, but also uh, uh, the man uh, that worked with him for a very long time and he, he was an associate at our, at our firm for a while, uh, but someone who I learned, uh, from whom I learned a lot. Uh, so. Uh, uh, that would be uh, John Scriven, and uh, he, he worked at the Ehrenberg Bass Institute for, 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 for a long time as well. But uh, he was uh, he was someone who uh, taught me uh, a great deal, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. But unfortunately, he passed away uh, recently. But um, yeah, so it's it's uh, to both of those people that I would dedicate it. Yeah, definitely. Well said. Thank you. Um, so as a final call to action, uh, everyone can head over to the podcast homepage, calltoaction.co. We'll share links to everything we've discussed in the last hour, including the recommended books, plus crucially a link to Eat Your Greens, which I couldn't recommend um, more highly. How else can people get more Wema Schneiders? <laughs> Um, so uh, I'm actually quite easy to find, and and and, uh, and really, if you uh, uh, if people want to reach out to me, uh, I'm always open to uh, questions and getting to know new people. So they can they can actually really find me on LinkedIn or Twitter uh, quite easily. Uh, uh, it's fairly easy to find uh, an email address there. Otherwise, you'll find it on our uh, company's website, and and really, people can reach out by email. I might not always have time to answer things, but. Uh, People uh, sh- shouldn't shouldn't hesitate to uh, to reach out if they if they uh, if they want to. Um, right, well, you said it yourself. Uh, I think they they can can get a bit more of me in in each of greens. Um, I, I'm trying to uh, to again write more. So hopefully the the that people will be able to read more from me uh, in in the future a little bit more frequently. Uh, and uh, and there will be uh, a newer new second edition of of each green, so uh, they'll definitely be able to find it uh, in there. Other than that, I'm actually traveling quite a bit all over the place. I'm in I'm in India in about two weeks. Um, uh, I'm in Germany a few weeks after, so uh, I'll continuously try to be uh, sort of physically available all over the over the shop uh, if people want to to have me. So uh, people can attend conferences where I am at that, at that point and uh, more than happy to chat with people further uh, if they're there. Amazing. Well, that's, um, that's great to hear. So expect a, um, a plethora of messages then <laughs> on LinkedIn coming your way. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real uh, pleasure and an honour to talk to you. Thank you. It was uh, uh, The pleasure was all mine. Uh, thank you, uh, Giles. This was, uh, was very, uh, very nice. And and thank you to everyone who continues to listen and support the show. Please continue to get in touch with questions to put to our guests, share feedback and anything else you want to send our way. Simply email us at hello at calltoaction.co.
Yeah, hey, hey. 